So, so we've got to that part of the Bible where it's not so lacquer. So if you're not a Christian here today, uh, God bless you. It's wonderful to have you with us, but you're going to hate us. Because we've spent about a year getting to this point, and you're going to think the Bible's all about religion and about behavioral patterns, but it's not. Now, I remember I led a girl to the Lord who was a gay girl. She was lesbian, practicing lesbian. I met her in a restaurant, and uh, we got talking about God, and she joined our church. She gave her life to Jesus. She eventually started working on our staff, and then we sent her overseas to go and explore uh, some of the dreams of her heart. And in the three months she was overseas, I preached on Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, which is our position in Christ. I'm seated in heavenly places. The dividing wall of hostility is broken down. And she went for three months, and the Sunday she came back, I preached on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, therefore, walk in such a way. Walk in such a way. You've got to outwalk your faith. And she walked up to me and said, you're a legalist. And I said, I'm not a legalist. You've just missed three months of my preaching on grace. And so if you are here today, I want to tell you, this is how the Bible works. If we can just put the behavioral... That first slide up, please. So, so if it's repeating, it doesn't matter. If you're new here, this is how it works. Roots determine roots. Bortles determine the other things. Say roots determine roots. So, so roots, R-O-O-T-S, determine R-O-U-T-E-S. So when there's something wrong with the R-O-U-T-E-S, we don't actually start cutting branches off. We go back to the root system. When there's a behavioral problem, there's something wrong with the root system, okay? That's our Christian, and the Bible is split in half. Ephesians 1, 2, 3, R-O-O-T-S. Ephesians 4, 5, 6, R-O-U-T-E-S. Romans 1 to 11, R-O-O-T-S. Romans 12 to 16, R-O-U-T-E-S. So if you're not a Christian, if you do not have the root system of Christianity, the next few weeks, will not, you will not understand, but if you do have the roots of Christianity, you'll understand that God actually wants an outworking of our faith. He doesn't just want to give us grace and he wants to give us space and set us free and forgive us of our sins and deep, reach deeply into our darkness without some kind of a response. And so we talk about belief and behavior. I believe this and therefore I behave. I believe in the sanctity of marriage. I believe that God died so that I can lay down my own life for my wife. I believe that is my belief system. And the Bible says, lay down your life for your wife. My wife believes that the church submitted to Christ, and so she submits to me. In 30 years of marriage, we have never, ever, once, ever mentioned the word submission in our marriage, ever. Now, if you're an unbeliever, you come and say, there's no ways I'm going to submit. Of course you won't, because you don't understand Jesus. There's no ways if I didn't understand Jesus, I would lay down my life for a woman. There's no ways if she didn't understand Jesus that she would submit to me. It makes absolutely no sense in human understanding that a woman would submit Amen. to a man. And remember, it doesn't say all women must submit to all men. It just says, wife, submit to your husband. Amen. Not to the peluca at work who's bullying you. Amen? Yeah, so not, that wherever Christ is preached, women get set free. Wherever Christ is preached, women get set free. But in marriage, because of Jesus... There's a relationship there that honors God. I would much rather submit than lay down my life. Lay down your life is dead. It's like the bacon and egg, you know? One's committed, one's involved. The pig's committed, the chicken's involved. <laughs> Marriage is the same. The husband's committed, the wife's involved. It's like die, China. 
You say, I've got marriage problem. Die. How? In the same way that Jesus died. That's your root system. That's your belief system. And the, the, the theological turn is indicative, the indicator. This is the indicative. This is the indicator of where I am in Christ. This is the imperative. This is the command. This is how I work it out. You understand that, friends? And so what happens, my son is at a Christian school. We go there. The boys arrive as Christians. But the belief system for most of those boys in that school, as some of you who lead Curo, which is a Christian school, and Maragon, which is a Christian school, and Doxadeo schools, some of you have got this Christian belief system, but the kids who come in there don't have that belief system. So when they behave differently, don't say to them, this is not how Christians behave. They don't believe what you believe. They don't believe it. So it's better to teach them the belief system Otherwise, the behavioral pattern becomes an external set of rules that say, you naughty boy, this is how you must operate. Friends, God does have a demand upon my time, but it's an internal change. Let me put that, that thing on exertion up, please. The energy of God's grace summons human beings not to passivity, but to exertion. Say exertion. But it is an exertion rooted in faith and energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christianity should not exhaust us. Christianity should be an internal thing that has taken place that works itself from the inside out. The moment people tell me how I must behave, it becomes a rule system of which I either become a robot, yes sir, no sir, yes pastor, no pastor, whatever you say pastor, or I become a rebel and say to heck with that, I'm not going to behave like that. Both of those are wrong. But after seven or eight or nine or 10 months of dealing with the life of God inside of me. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I've been credited with righteousness. I'm no longer under the law. The 10 commandments have been fulfilled by Christ. He's broken the power of the law underneath. I don't live in black and white. I live in color, violet, indigo, blue, green, yellow, orange, and red. And he says, now I want to tell you, this is going to outwork itself in certain ways. The way you treat your wife, the way you treat the Afrikaans guy next to you, the way you treat the black guy who preached last week, the way you treat your boss, the way you treat the taxi driver, the way you treat Cyril Ramaphosa. When Paul wrote this letter, friends, he was writing in a Roman era when Nero and Caesar and those horrific men were in charge and he said, submit to the authorities. I'm clean, I'm free, I'm whole, I'm saved, I'm all of those things because of Jesus but I have to outwork it as a citizen of this country. I've got to outwork it with my enemies, amen? And that's where we are. That's how we've got here. So if you're visiting and you don't know Jesus, don't leave here with guilt and shame. All of us have got guilt and shame. God has dealt with it. And now he's saying, I want you to outwork that in a public forum. Amen. Therefore, Romans chapter 12. You can put it up on the board. You say, why are we not doing 9, 10, and 11, it's very simple. I don't understand it. <laughs> I can get up here and say, you know, Stephen's going on holiday and he's cleverer than me. I, I, honestly, I don't freaking understand it. It's so complicated and I'm going to have to get a proper teacher to come in and teach it to us. But, but effectively, it's this. Romans chapter 8 ends like this. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation and nothing can separate us from the Love of God, neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor nothing can separate us. So there's no separation. And then 
Romans 9, 10, 11. But what about the Jews? God, if there's no separation, how come the Jews are walking away? Well, the Jews decided to walk away, and while they walked away, grace came to you. And if I can take a natural olive tree, and I can take a wild shoot and plant it in there, then I can also take the natural shoot, which is now, and I can put it back in there as well. So I want to tell you, in the same way that I dealt with you and brought you into the kingdom, I'm going to deal with the Jews and bring them into the kingdom too. And this is how it ends Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever as he brings the church and the Jews back together. And it says, therefore, in light of everything that's gone in in Romans, in light of the freedom that you have, the peace that you have with God, the forgiveness that you have, the justification that you have. You appeared in a law court and all your sins were counted against you. In light of all that, I now urge you, in view of God's mercy, say in view of God's mercy. Every morning you must stand up in the next few weeks because it's going to be pretty intense. You must just look in the mirror. You must look at your own life. And you must say these words, in view of God's mercy. Say that with me. Look in the mirror tomorrow and say, in view of God's mercy. Say it loudly. In view of God's mercy. This week, I sat with a doctor who lost his three children in New Zealand. His wife's listening to our podcast. She wrote a letter. She said, I listened to Rory. He's quite a character. You called me a creature. She called me a character. I'm in Christ. A creature, a character in Christ. And as we sat and talked with this doctor, I have to say to you, in view of God's mercy. There's another doctor who's also an orthopedic surgeon They've been in the city. They've been in the same city for 20 years. They've never met. Orthopedic surgeon, orthopedic surgeon. I said, do you know that guy? I said, I've never met him. Do you know that guy? No, I've never met him. Do you know where they met? They met coming to train as baristas in a local church. They met. They walked up and said, hi, I'm so-and-so. He said, I'm so-and-so. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm come to train. Friends, we don't know who's behind the coffee machine. But I want to tell you, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, before you do a single thing, just look in the mirror and then start to look around and then take a microscope and then take a telescope and then take binoculars and then take glasses on and take glasses off, but have a good look around at yourself and others. Before you make a single decision about anything, it has to be in the view of God's mercy. Because I got invited to the plots of Donkerhook today, this week. And I drove into the plots of Donkerhook to a policeman who was part of the apartheid squad who killed many people and he's on his deathbed and he needs God and we prayed together. Him and his wife and I prayed together. And the power of God and the peace of God rushed into that room and I said to him, ma'am, have you got a white sheet? And we took the white sheet and we put it over his cancer riddled body in view of God's mercy. He is a sinner. He is a murderer. He is in view of God's mercy. We are going to see him in heaven. 
And the Bible says it doesn't matter if your arrow fell short here or fell short there. We are all sinners. You said, Rory, my tante is so seer. My tante is so seer. And his wife said, Rory, is there anybody in the church? I said, oh, there's a doctor. We've got a dentist. I phoned. I said, doctor, as a man op die plotte, sy tande is baie seer. Doctor, is daar enige iemand wat na hom kan kom kyk? Sy sê, Rory, ek sal kom kyk. So, nine o'clock yesterday morning, I drive in here, and the lady who started the prayer meetings in Watercliffe School for the revival of God to come 20 years ago, her and the dentist got into my car, and we drove to the plots in view of God's mercy. And we were talking about the sermon last week. Your haircut looks good, Christian. I'm not sure what the options are, but anyway, it looks very good. <laughs> Can you imagine? Hey, Stephen's going on holiday. They're stuck with me in the black oak. <laughs> you have to listen to us, bro. It happened in one of the home groups this week, Christian. A man stood up and he said, three years ago, if I was sitting in that church and a black man got up to preach, I would have walked out. In view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Oh, would I do? I wish some things had happened quicker, absolutely. But in view of God's mercy. In the mirror, under the microscope, looking at the very depth of my life, and through the telescope, looking very far forward and very far back, as far back as you like to go, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. I'm an Anglican by upbringing, and I just started to think, we do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness. We do not deserve to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Make a good Anglican, eh? But some of those prayers through repetition have lost their power. How long? Oh, sorry. Therefore, I urge you. Say urge. That's like rugby captain. That's Francois Pinner on steroids. That's Hansi Cronier in the highlight of his day. I urge you. Brothers. Say brothers. Not some arrogant preacher in the front who's telling people how to live righteous lives. I urge you, brothers, as fellow sinners, as fellow family members, I urge you, family, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In the message version, it says this, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Can I be offensive? 
Ladies, stick your breasts on the altar and not in people's faces. If you want to know how the thing works itself out practically. You gossipers, stick your mouth on the altar and stop gossiping. I'm not preaching to you. I am your brother as guilty of sin as you are. Take your ears as an honorable sacrifice to God and stop listening to lies and stop listening to slander and stick them on the altar. And you men that are watching porno late at night, take your eyes and put them on the altar for this will be your spiritual act of worship. You see, we can deal with secrets because Jesus dealt with secrets. He gets into the depth of our sin. He gets into the depths of our selfishness. And therefore, in view of his mercy, offer every single part of your life as a sacrifice to God. This is your reasonable, or some Bibles say your intelligent, act of worship, if you really think through what God has done for you, to put your body on the altar is not so much of a problem. They say the problem with a living sacrifice is that it's living. You say, well, are we meant to be alive or are we meant to be dead? The problem with the living sacrifice, it kind of creeps off the altar. You've got to keep it on the altar. And how do we do that? By coming to church and getting a smack from the pastor? or by believing in the finished work of Christ and allowing it to touch you inside. And every time you sin, you draw on the righteousness of Christ because he's credited with you with righteousness. And as I draw on it, I start to live in victory. And when I fall, I rise again. And when I fall, I rise again. And I start to become victorious through my understanding of Christ. Friends, this little guy is 14. That one is 17. She's 23. He's 25. The expectations I have upon him are different to the expectations I have upon him. It's got to be age appropriate. Some people walk in the church and say, Rory, why are you so gracious with them? I say, because they don't understand grace. They don't understand it. And so they keep falling and they pick them up and keep falling and pick them up. But then they start to grow up. You know, we went for dinner the other day, just the four of us, just a family dinner. And we decided that we would speak life to each other. And we just had this incredible moment of just blessing each other and, and, and recounting what had happened this year. And, and, and then I think Mel said to Thomas, Thomas, what, what would you say to James? And he said, James, read one verse of Scripture every day. And when mom and dad talk to you, listen to them. You're only 14 years old. You see, when you're still young, you must listen. And if you're in trouble, you must run to church. Because around you are people that keep you safe. And when I say don't be found in your room alone at night with your computer on, you must listen. It's not law. It's not legalism. It's just wisdom. Amen?
in view of God's mercy. Just an introduction. We're going to go through a set of eight or nine or ten relationships. And you know what you're going to end up doing? We're going to end up repenting. Because you treat your mother-in-law badly. And we can justify. You remember this, friends? God justified us in the courtrooms of, Jesus, of, of the Father. We can't justify any unbiblical behavior. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Talk, say transformation. Now, I know we've used this, but some of you are new to the church. The world has got a pattern for every single thing. Let's just look at the main things. Power. There's a pattern. You've got to get to the top. It doesn't matter how you get to the top. It doesn't matter who you stand on to get to the top, but you've got to get to the top. The world has got a pattern for sexuality. The world has got a pattern for money. The guy with the most toys wins. I've just been collecting photographs just as a, as a, as a, a thing over the last while. And even the photography world has got, there's a sort of a, one guy comes with his cell phone and he's snapping, the other guy comes with his latest this and this guy comes with that. Another guy comes with a trailer and he sort of pulls out his lens, you know. And it's the guy with the biggest wins. Is that not how we conformed? And, and, and now we come into the church and we say, actually, there's a place here where the weakest can survive. The weakest can survive. The most broken can survive. The most sinful can actually get given a second chance and thrive. And the worse you are, the better God is in view of his mercy. And so we have to sit down and think. We say, well, money, money, money. Da, 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 da. It's a rich man's world. Aha. All the things I could do if I had a little money. Well, ask Jeff Bezos' wife. Ask Bill Gates' wife. Ask Elon Musk's many wives whether money is the answer. God designed us to worship. He designed every human being to worship. And we are meant to worship Jesus. And the moment that I take Jesus out the middle and put anything else in the middle, I want to tell you it will come to wreck and ruin whether you're Steve Jobs on your sickbed that says, I will give all my money for my health. Or you're an apartheid policeman that cries out to God on his sickbed and says, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Money's not the answer. And so we have to sit down. We've got to think. We've got to think God. So God talks more about money than anything else. He says, if you've been in this church any length of time, you know, I always say this. Come to church six weeks to understand what the leadership are on about. Don't come two weeks and leave offended. If you've been here for any length of time, you will notice I, money's not a big thing for me. But, but Jesus talks more about money than anything else. So we're going to have to talk about it one day. But what is your view on money? Because Jesus set you free. 
It can't be, friends, so that you can buy a house in Nazan and collect shells. It can't be. It, it can't be. Now, it doesn't matter if you do collect shells, but that's not the reason why you exist. I've worked my whole life. I've dug deep so I can fly business class. Well, be comfortable, sir. But why did God create money? And what is Jesus' perspective on money? And what is the church's view on money? And what does the Bible say about money? And even you rich guys, if you think you're clever, and some of you really are, this is what the Bible says. God gives us the ability to create wealth. You know, friends, later on it says, in the next verse of Scripture, it says, make a sober assessment of yourself. So, so now we've got to try and work out, we've got to get our mindset. Then I've got to like, get myself in order. You know, they say every Bible college student, they, 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 they pray for two things, a big church and a small wife. And they say sometimes it doesn't always work out like that. So, but, but, but that's, what they, that's what they pray for. I'm just telling you, that's, that's what they pray for. But you've got, to make a sober, you've got to make a sober assessment. Yeah, I was a barman. That was my job. When I asked my mother-in-law if I could marry her daughter, I didn't have a lot going for me. What do you do? I'm a barman. I work four times a week, sometimes double shifts to save for my wedding. Like, you're going to marry my daughter? And they come around there. They've got two kinds of drinkers, drunk for drink. How's it? Yes, you like it, Nima. Oh, my eyes. Yes, you like it, Nima. My fly slide, my many flying pads. Who come and say, he's so bad, I want you to go to the house, I want my black skull. Yeah, my God. How's your life? No, it's not lekker, man. It's sad, man. It's not lekker. And then you get that oak with that Dutch courage. I step from my gun, your yo black scholar. And and then you wake up the next day with two black eyes and a split lip, and you think, what happened? You were stupid, Sonny. You got into a fight with the oak bigger than you. So the Bible says, just make an honest assessment of yourself. Otherwise, you lose peace. I, I drive past here and there's a little Afrikaans church on the corner and God gave that man that gift. And you keep driving and there's another little small church on the corner and God gave that lady that gift. And then you turn right and you go past CRC and there's this massive church and God gave that man that gift. And he gave me a gift. And I've got to have a sober assessment. I say, I'm not that and I'm not that. I'm not drunk for drit and I don't have Dutch courage, but this is what God has given me. Make an honest assessment. Because you know, we think I'm going to be the richest, I'm going to be the strongest, I'm going to be the smartest. And we start driving ourselves when we lose peace. We stop worshiping God. We stop worshiping God. Amen? So when you look in the mirror tomorrow, you say, in view of God's mercy, I'm a gifted, anointed, special grace-filled, blood-bought, righteously justified by Christ. I wear that with pride. 
I wear that with honor. I wear that with freedom. And now I start outworking it. I met an ophthalmologist in the men's bathroom just now. Mora, Mora. Kanet, Granki, self, self, good, okay. Everything he touches turns to gold. Everything he touches turns to gold. He's got a gift in his life. Started a practice, started another practice, introduced to another practice. He's got a gift. What do you do with that gift? You can't boast about it. You can't brag about it. Hey, Rory, somebody came to me and said, the car park is full. I just said to Robert, I just want to sit and cry. I look at him sit and cry. In view of God's mercy, I know most of your stories. Apartheid policemen and black Congolese men who preach and dentists who give up their Saturdays to go and look after somebody's tooth. But if I look at TV and I see those major churches, I mustn't lose my peace. And when I see those smaller churches, I mustn't become proud. I must just make a sober assessment and say, this is who I am. This is what I do. I must worship God with that. Say this, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your everyday life, your tongue, your eyes, your ears, for ladies only, your chests. And you think I'm joking. You're not meant to walk around the church showing your boobs to everybody. Put them on the altar. Put them on the altar. Put them on the altar. And worship God with them. For this, for this is your spiritual, intelligent, reasonable act of worship. God bless you.